This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal and Fly Racing. Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast presented by Fly Racing. On today's show, we're going to look back at the Aragon World Superbike Round. Steve English and Gordon Ritchie on the pod as usual for superbikes. And uh, Gordo, we're finally back to work, mate. It's great. Oh, fantastic. It's been a long winter, eh? We haven't quite known what to do with ourselves. Um, but it was good and especially good for me because I was forced to miss an awful lot of tests this year through no desire of my own. Um, and... Yeah, so getting back to work was really getting back to work for me. My first test was the Monday, Tuesday official tests. And even then, the airline managed to get me there uh, 12 hours later than I was supposed to be, uh, which was a great start to the year. You know, first flight didn't go right. Well, I'll tell you what, Gordy, you might as well start the year with a bit of a struggle. And uh, let's be honest, there was a few teams that started the year with a bit of a struggle. I think it seemed that the season crept up on them a bit too fast. And I think that was one of the most interesting things for me. Obviously, we haven't been able to catch up too much over the winter for the podcast. But one of the things that was interesting was we had some teams like Kawasaki and Ducati testing in November and then January, February, March. And then we had other teams like BMW that had a big test at the end of last year so that they could get Scott Redding out in the bike. And then didn't test until Mizano, what, four weeks ago? Yeah. So suddenly their winter test project became really condensed. And it was interesting to see how different teams used such a long off-season to be able to get themselves ready. I think it was four and a half months from Indonesia until race one on Saturday. Yeah, it was was an unusual situation. Um, I think maybe maybe that was part to do with uh, upscaling to have four more or less full factory bikes together. Um, But somebody made a decision to do the test schedule they really wanted to. Maybe they were happy with the way things finished last year. Obviously, they, their results improved last year. Um, I don't know, and I don't know what the thinking was behind it, but it does seem, you know, three tests in succession. You don't have much time to react to that. If you're, To me, that means that you're using what you used last year, or you're incredibly confident with the new stuff you bring this year that's just going to work. Um, either case, that was a wee, to me, that was a wee bit of a gamble um, when I saw when they were testing. And they just, didn't appear 100% ready to take on all the changes that happened, weather, everything else. I thought it was interesting. Now, obviously, we're going to talk about BMW a little bit later in the pod, but just quick touch on Honda as well right now, because Honda went a different direction. They did a lot of testing, and uh, Lecoon and Vierge were able to hit the ground running. Top 10s in all races looked a lot more competitive than what Honda's looked in the past, so their winter program of being a little bit busier paid off for them obviously for this year for anyone listening to the pod that hasn't seen the news bmw and honda do have a lot more additional testing compared to the other teams just a concession for them to try and catch up to everyone else but honda made good use of it yes um and they needed they had complete rookie riders which is another thing that they thought we need to get these guys out on the bike as soon as possible and as much as possible early it is a different situation for them all the bmw riders were experienced riders um and superbike um but yeah honda Tested a lot. BMW have also got more tests, I believe, because of their concession situation. Um, but Honda did an incredible job over the winter, not in improving the bike, but in simply in getting those two young guys ready to race in the middle of two major technical changes when they changed the brake manufacturer um, and obviously getting used to Pirelli tyres. And, they, you know, there was a lot of changes at Honda this year, um, and including personnel. So they want, needed and wanted to get out early to get all that meshing together properly. And obviously, it worked. They weren't on the podium. They weren't winning races. They weren't doing anything you might not expect from the guys last year. But everything 
a lot of things were very, very new this year. And that's a big deal. What about for you, Gordo? Was there any big upgrades over the winter for you with your kit? Uh, upgrades over the winter? Uh, no. There was, what can I say? I had a lot of time to prepare for the season, but because of a lot of things that were going on in the background with the family here and other things, what should have been a nice, easy, not mid-February, like we normally do in Australia, but, you know, early April, plenty of time to get ready, suddenly became a complete mad rush for me, uh, which is why I missed that final uh, private Barcelona test. I just couldn't go. Ten hours before I was due to fly, I was sitting at my computer in the dining room thinking, this, I'm not going, I just can't go. So upgrade, I wouldn't say upgrade, I might say the opposite, actually. It was it was very, very <laughs> difficult start, when it shouldn't have been. Um so yeah, even after all these years, it doesn't mean what you the way you plan things is going to be the way they turn out. So, uh, yeah, upgrades? Mm, no. Well, I tell you what, <laughs> we get more of the same from you as ever, Gordo. It's going to be going to be good anyway. I, I was a bit like that for Catalonia as well. I got COVID like I don't know a day before I was due to fly as well. So it was a rare occasion where super bikes were out on track and neither of us were actually at the track. But uh, luckily. The likes of Evo from Speed Week and uh, GP1 were all there, so we were still able to to get up to date as much as possible. In Aragon, I sat down with Jonathan Ray as well before the start of the season to have a quick chat with him and uh, get his thoughts on the year. We're going to play that interview now, and when we come back after that, we're going to talk about round one from Aragon. Jonathan Ray joining us on the Paddock Pass podcast, and Johnny, this is this is a very strange situation actually. This is the first time since I've come into the World Superbike Paddock where there isn't a number one plate in your bike. But no doubt, this is the season you're actually probably keen to get started, get underway. Yeah, you know, I've I've spent more, believe it or not, since you've been since you've arrived, it's been number one. Yeah, but I've spent most of my sort of bike career on 65, so it's a nice. Uh, it's not nice. It's a different. It's a change. You know, shift the mentality as well because we're sort of no longer the reference team, if you like. Uh, and that off season was more calm because of that. Also, we could work on our weaknesses. I mean, I made a lot of mistakes last year in races, also the team. So just trying to learn from that, um, develop the bike a little bit, work in relationship with, with Alex was really good last year as a teammate. And um, try and take that through the this first part of the season and, and step up. I felt like in this pre-season test when we've been with others, it's been good, you know, and I feel like we've definitely made a step from what we had last year as a, an overall package, but you know everyone else has as well. Everyone's stepping up, and that uh, anticipation towards round one is like an all-time high. Obviously, if you mentioned the mistakes last year, for us on the outside, this was so unusual compared to the previous seasons. We're used to seeing almost like what we saw from Top Rack last year, just that maybe one mistake a year that, that proves costly for you. But last year, you're having to ride right in the limit. We saw couple of crashes in races this wasn't what we typically seen and you always had said you know the goal is always minimize mistakes keep things going keep the progress it's very different whenever you're the one that has to ride like that as well it is it is very true um but also i put myself in them positions as well because there's times where i seen as must win races that um where i need to forget that approach really it's just do what i can do portimao a good example also donington races where i was strong and you know, when I was maybe a little bit rattled or flustered in the race or the perfect plan wasn't playing out in front of my eyes, um, I just dropped the eight ball. You know, it was, uh, so just learn from that a little bit. Let the races play out. I crashed at mid-distance in both, more or less the two critical races. The Portimao one was, uh, okay, that was a little bit um, silly in the wet, the Super Pole race, throwing away points there, but 
generally just um, be more calm. Think the race is out a lot more. Of course, the competition's stiff. You know, there's when I was winning the championships before in the beginning, uh, I was making mistakes in races, but manufacturer level and rivalries weren't at an all-time high aside from Chaz Davis let's say and and Tom Sykes the margin to fourth and fifth was generally quite big now you know depending on what weekend you go to there's different podium guys you know the, the, the field at the front's so tight having an off day can be really costly so it, it means a lot to score the big points but it also means a lot if you don't score them at all so more more a case of just um, grinding through the races and scoring what we can. Well, even when you look at the competition, you look at Bautista's moved on to the Ducati, he looks really strong. But Ducati's actually made a big step as well. They've brought in what looks like pretty much upgrades all over the bike as well to try and make it where a bike that 2019 seemed ideal for him is even a little bit more suited for him. That's going to be a big worry for everyone up and down the grid. Well, we have to see, don't we? Um, you know, in 2019, Alvaro was so strong on that bike already. I mean, since they first brought the bike, just look at what Scott done on it last year. Rinaldi, Bassani, now Philip Otto. It definitely is the reference that we're back out there. Um, you know, I'm sure Scott's probably um, you know, having a few sleepless nights, leaving that behind. But um, no doubt, Alvaro couldn't. You know, if he can put a season together, we, you know, he's going to be there thereabouts. The bike's strong, but it should be. He should be. You know, and there's a lot of pressure with that as well because of how dominant he was in 2019. This is his last chance, and um, you know, along with Top Rack, you know, back in 2019, Alvaro only had me nipping at his heels. Now it's Top Rack, you know, and he was grumbling at me. You know, when Top Rack dive bombs him from far back, we'll see how things are as well. So. Not a case of me sitting back with my popcorn watching that go off. I want to get amongst it. I love the fight, the fight, the battle, and um, really intrigued how it's going to play out. I mentioned two names there, but there's so many. You know, Ronaldo had a great race weekend in um, Misano. He was so strong. Uh, Van der Mark won a wet race in Portimao. The podium guys everywhere. So. You know, Superbike's got a lot going for it right now. I remember a couple of years ago we were chatting in Magni Corps, was end the season, and we were talking about a golden era of Superbikes. This was probably, I, let's say it was 2019, something like that. And it looked like the grid was getting more and more competitive. We had more and more great riders. You look at it three, four years down the line, and it just has more depth than ever before. You look at the investment Honda's made, BMW have obviously spent big, like Vandermark last year, Scott Redding this year, so they're clearly willing to spend the cash on bringing in top riders. This is only good for the championship. It looks like everyone's really making that push. 100% from a manufacturer point of view, you know, the big efforts up and down pit lane, which is really nice to see. It makes it makes winning more feel more important, you know, because when you have a good day, you've beat people that are throwing the kitchen sink at it and everyone doing their best. I think it also helps that all the top manufacturers now have really good riders on their bikes. So, you know, with and Superbike, the balance of regulation and tire, everything, you know, you can have a good weekend and be on the podium, which is really nice. You don't need a weather race to affect that. You know, if you work well with your crew, you're going to be there, thereabouts. And um, that's what keeps it exciting. When you look at the tires as well, this is obviously going to be one of the big talking points through the season. We've got the new tire, the SEQ tire, really soft tire, designed and developed for the Super Bowl session and potentially for the 10 lap Super Bowl race. Over the last few years, Pirelli have gone softer and softer and softer with their compounds. They've made a lot of changes to that tire. But this year with the SCX tire, the normal race tire is a little bit harder than it has been in the past. It looks like they're trying to create more of a window 
now between the tyres? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, the SCQ tyre, which has been a prolonged qualifying tyre or a short race distance tyre, is it's a bit of a no-man's land for me because uh, for a short race even, I feel with our bike and how I ride the bike, my weight, everything, it's not really an option. This SCX tyre, though, is quite interesting because even in the test this week, with uh, low temperatures, I was able to make it work more than 10 laps. Normally, I, I squeal 10 laps out of it and it's it's crying, you know, and um, that's what, something we focused on in the winter was trying to have tire life as well, look after the tire, keep temperature um, quite consistent in the rear tire, and uh, that's positive, but sometimes with too many choice, it makes the weekend, it can fluster your weekend because you start setting, trying to set a bike up for a super pole race with a different tire, then a long race with a different tire, and we actually have less tires in our allocation this year as well. And um, so a lot of strategy be involved in trying to get the right race set up, but um, that's what makes it interesting as well. This is one of the things I was talking to Pararibi, your crew chief, about, is that now that you're in your eighth year with each other, there's a lot of almost non-verbal communication. He knows yeah. what you're going to feel. And whenever it gets tight like this, it's so close at the front, this has to make a big difference. Even if it just finds you that small percentage over the course of a season, it can make a big difference. Yeah, 100%. And, um, I mean, Perry is quite, not telepathic, but we don't talk about, we don't have hour-long debriefs trying to find something that's not there you know we didn't get beat last year and suddenly start reinventing the wheel we, we've gone about our business the same you know and um not with any more or less effort than in the past just um try to maximize all the potential we know the bike we have we know its strengths we know its weaknesses and one of the big areas that we worked on in the off season was um chassis you know we can we can throw a swing arm at it here or head pipe angles geometry wise trying to get the bike in a different working window where I'm not completely on the limit I must admit you know Showa bringing new f spec front fork really helped me you know I had much more margin singly that's probably our biggest step in the off season um, and then electronics so that relationship between myself Perry and Davide um, trusting each other just going about work I, I mean I'm I don't pretend to be the, the best development rider in the world, but I know what I like, you know, and I leave them to do what they do in the garage. I come back and generally, nine times out of 10, the bike's a step better than it was the session before. Being able to make that progress over the winter is important. Top Rack's only going to get stronger. Yamaha's going to get stronger. As I said, Batista on the Ducati, everyone else is going to get closer. But just that battle with Top Rack, because obviously Scott Riding was in the title fight last year as well, but what captivated everyone was looking at you and Top Rack taking spots off each other. And it was racing that I don't think anyone had really seen consistently at the front of a field like this. It was it was special. Do you think it's going to be the same this year? Yeah, I do, actually. You know, it. when I was a fan watching the last race scrap between Bayless and Edwards, it was like that most of the season. You know, there was, there's been countless times where I've washed Yamaha blue off my leathers or... Pirelli rubber off the leathers and vice versa you know and there's a there's a lot of respect on track as well because he's um, we both operated at a you know, high level so we know there's not going to be anything really stupid now, of course mistakes can happen but um, it's nice to know that he's it means a lot to him as well so when he wins or I win you know that res you have to give respect because they've given everything it's not always been like that in my career with rivals, so it's nice to have this one. It's quite healthy. 
Um, a lot of respect, but you know, I want to beat him bad, you know, and and make up for last year as well. But it's um, yeah, it's all good. Obviously, enough. The relationship between you and Toprak has to have changed over the course of the last year. If you think back to when he first jumped onto a superbike, you were there almost as a bit of a mentor. You were there helping him as much as you could. As he gets more and more competitive, inevitably there's a, a shift. But how is the relationship between the two of you? For, for me, it's good. Um, you know, and I, on the paddock, you know, talking normal, everything's fine. On the track, even then, we were close in 2000. And, I mean, we were Kawasaki teammates not that long ago. And I remember a race in Donington where it was close. Mizano was very close. I was thinking, you know, if he brings me down here, it's going to be a disaster. I wonder, is he thinking about that? But now we're sort of manufacturer rivals as well. It, uh, it heightens that. Um, you know, as his career is growing, you know, you can see the you know, his fan base is growing and growing, which is good. It's bringing more fans to Superbike after the the Keenan Softwoglu era of of Turkish fans, and that's so good. You know, to see that heightens the rivalry, and I think it's quite similar. Uh, to be fair, I see him quite tense. Um, it's more quiet than normal. Maybe that's first round um, jitters, but uh, everyone will. You know, it's normal. He's a good guy. He's like a good person, and um, you know, I look forward to the battle on track. Obviously, enough. Top Rack's going to get a chance to race or to test the MotoGP bike. Looks like he'll get an opportunity to race the MotoGP bike. This is obviously always going to be something that will gnaw away at you that you didn't really get more than just those couple of replacement rides. If you were looking at Top Rack, do you think can he make that transition and show exactly how good this paddock is? I really do, yeah. Um, but not top right for sure but you also need to go there with time and no expectation you know we see rookies in Grand Prix now doing a good job because there's not the expectation the focus is on the superstars um, the, I, I do feel there's a lot of pressure to go there because you have to make it work it's a quite a ruthless a ruthless paddock it's a, a business paddock and, but I've no doubt that he's he's good enough you know there's loads of guys not loads but there's enough guys in this paddock given a good opportunity and time and in the right place unfortunately you can't just manufacture that right opportunity in place so I hope if it does come his way it works out you know never opportunity never came my way but I don't begrudge that on anyone else you know I'd love to see him go and do well um, would show that the there is a stepping stone from World Super Bike to MotoGP because you know, after six championship wins when the door never opens, it sort of it makes World Super Bike seem like a dead stop, if you like. And um, that really shouldn't be the case. Obviously enough, we talked about it earlier on when you mentioned about the importance of being able to, to look at how competitive the championship is. Top Rack has a teammate um, in Locatelli that was able to really push hard last year. A lot of podiums raced at the front. Rinaldi with Bautista. Who mentioned about the relationship that you have with your teammate Alex Lowe's and at least this year a fully fit Lowe's should be able to give you that bit of support as well. Yeah, well it's not even support for me, it's just for the team in general. I don't I mean unless I need it, I don't ask or want Alex's support. I want him to be competitive and strong for himself. You know, he's a super good guy and teammate as well. You know, I've enjoyed sharing the box with him. It's been frustrating at times for me watching him struggle with injury riding trying to ride through that pain barrier and be competitive in a championship like we said so competitive so you know this off season he seems to be back to you know his best um of course the, 
you know, the bikes, I still feel like it's not 100% suited to him. It's, it's a tough bike stepping off the Yamaha when he did two seasons ago, I guess. He's been here two seasons, you know, onto the ZX-10RR, still finding the sweet spot, if you like. But he's one of the fastest guys here. Believe me, I'm telling you, I've, I see his data. He's, he's uh, a great rider, and I'm sure when, he, when it clicks, you know, he's going to be there week in, week out. So... If if Top Rack was leaning on Locatelli for support, you know maybe Locatelli might have to lean on Top Rack this year. You never know. That's what I mean. It's uh, just expect the unexpected, and um, might be me having to help out Alex. Just before we finish up, then Johnny, as well, it's been a busy off season for you. You've done a bit of house moving as well. You've got yourself set up over in Spain as a as a second option as well, and a lot of changes as well. Obviously, back home now that restrictions have been lifted, it gets an awful lot easier yeah. for uh, for you and for the family but you've been busy all the way through the winter you know actually it's complete opposite um we built the, the house in barcelona it was something that's been we got that place last year about this time last year actually and uh, it was being built and it's just been finalized everything's been finalized quite recently so um the stress has been recently in the last few weeks getting furniture moved out here and stuff that we had earmarked for the house uh, it's just you know 30 minutes north of Barcelona I feel really connected to this area obviously because of the team and having such a good time here really um, but aside from that honestly I've been football dad at home it's been such a nice long off season with not too much going on still with Covid kicking around lots, not so much marketing events going on and the usual thing that would follow a championship but um yeah, definitely ready to get back to work. But uh, now the season starts. I just hope you know travel's easier. You know people will be encouraged to come and watch us race again because uh, it's so much more accessible and open again. Um, I think we go to Aston in a few weeks' time and it's back to complete normal. So hopefully we can see a packed uh, Aston like in previous years and get the show on the road. Yeah, it should be some some show this year as well. So thanks for joining us, Johnny. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast and Gordo. Obviously enough, we've got a lot to talk about from round one, so let's jump straight into it. What was your big takeaway from the weekend? What was the one the one talking point that you think is probably the, the big thing from Aragon? I think in terms of the actual real championship chase, it has to be Bautista winning two races, straight back on Ducati, saying that they've fixed a lot of the niggly things and the you know, the silly things they had when it was literally their first year with him and the the bike. Um otherwise it's obviously the same happy thing he had when he, he won the all the races in the first third of the season um, when he joined. That, to me, is the biggest thing because Jonathan Ray won the first race, which was one of his best, the fantastic, etc. But in race two, once Bautista had got a confidence that he could really go, he was gone. And the sprint race and then race two, I think race two was more significant. So him winning two of those races... I think it was a great significance to the championship because last year we had a very much two-man plus Reading maybe championship. This year, I think, before we even started, there's absolute guaranteed minimum three-rider world championship. And I can't think what's more significant than that, that we will have three riders fighting for the championship this year. Obviously enough, Gordo, Aragon is a track that's tailor-made for Bautista. He always went well in MotoGP there. He's always gone well on the Superbike there, even on the Honda. He had some of his better results there. But when you look at this weekend... This was one that I think coming into the season, we were all a little bit fearful about, you know, like our job, especially like uh, in the build up to a season is to look for 
the things that are going to really interest fans. You know, are we going to have more of the same racing that we had last year? Because last year, Raz Gidioglu, Ray, and then Reading as well, those top three, the racing that we saw from them was on a consistent basis, week in, week out, three races a weekend. It was the best I've ever seen. If you think from, you know, mid-season onwards, Navarra onwards, all we saw was those guys just beating each other up, doing everything they could to to fight with each other. And it was it was epic. And coming into this year, there was a fear that that might be the battle for second place. Because like, if you think back to 2019, Bautista on that Ducati, he was, he's tailor-made for it. You look at Scott Redding, it never quite gelled the same way it did for Bautista. And now that he's back on that bike with two years of Pirelli experience on the Honda, on a bad bike that didn't suit him, he's not going to have gotten worse. He's not going to have gotten less hungry. Suddenly he turned up to Aragon and there was that fear. Is he going to run off into the distance like he did in 2019? Because he won one race by 16 seconds, even though he, he cruised on the last lap as well. So he could have won that by a second a lap. And I was worried going into this weekend. I really thought, you know, which what are we going to see? Are we going to see last year or are we going to see 2019? As it was, we had a bit of a mix. And uh, race one, you mentioned Johnny's performance. For me, this was right up there with, I remember in Qatar a couple of years, maybe 2016, it looked like Ducati had a big straight line speed advantage and Johnny had to really work. And I remember he was able to win one of the races in Qatar and it was really impressive. I think it could have been 17. And this was a bit like that as well. He had to be hyper aggressive. Any any chance to make an overtaken move, he had to make it. He was a, mo- uh, a moving roadblock for most of the race for Bautista because of how he had to approach us. And I thought it was really really fun to see that and I thought it was really important that if it was going to happen in any race that it happened in the first race because then we were able to show okay we're going to be able to have good racing all the way through this year hopefully yeah I think that part and parcel of the whole Batista thing um, is how Johnny was allowed to be on the weekend um, you, we saw how he managed to win race one which was just to get you know just not let anybody try and get away from him. every time Batista passed him he tried to pass him back um, and he got a bit messy with some other riders, but he managed to stay with and and, and Harry Batista all the way to the win. Um, in the other races, he wasn't able to do that because of the input of other riders. So Johnny's takeaways from the weekend were five seconds uh, as the win was in race two for Batista was acceptable, were his own words, if I remember correctly. Um, and he's also said about track position is going to be really important this year. Qualify is going to be really important this year to stay with Batista so he doesn't get away. Um, we've seen him do it before. That's how he managed to, to start putting the guy off uh, in the year when he actually eventually did win the championship when it looked like Batista was going to win it before half season. So um, Johnny knows what he needs to do. Batista knows what he needs to do, which is to get away from everybody and run his own laps because, also interestingly, he said that when he's with other people, he can't do the same pace. It's not like you can even do the same pace behind someone or with someone, he's in the middle of two riders because he said he has to go at, on this line with that throttle opening and that breaking point all the way around the, lap, the the racetrack to get the lap time to let him set his best pace. As soon as he has to mess with people, his lap time falls apart. Not just because he's messing with people, but because his bike just isesn't working properly anymore. So that may be their weakness this year. Um, if he can fix that so that the bike becomes something he can use his racecraft on in the middle of a pack, as well as he can on those single laps where he's just motoring, motoring, motoring away, then we're looking at a Batista potential, genuinely potential clear world championship. But what round one, you know, it's Aragon, it's round one, there's a gigantic straight. 
you know, you could land airplanes on that thing. I, you know, it wasn't surprising that the Ducatis had a bit of an advantage when you've got the diminutive Ducati guys on it. It was quite noticeable. There's a slight difference in how fast that Ducati is when you take, I don't know, 25 or 30 kilos and six inches of height off the rider, you know, or more. Um, it's it's amazing how what Ducati said in the first year was it's Alvaro for the riding, but also his size. He's so small, he could tuck right in and maximise every single bit of horsepower and aerodynamic feature that that Ducati had in year one. They kept going on about that, and we were all a bit like, meh, you know, sure, you know, because obviously the, the engine's very strong. But that does seem to make a massive difference to that bike. And also Rinaldi, who, who was nowhere, um, you know, really unhappy after testing, was right in the mix, even though he didn't get a single podium, but he, he nearly got three podiums. So I thought... I thought it was really interesting with Rinaldi as well, Gorda, because you mentioned right at the start of the show, BMW were taken by surprise by the jump in track temperature over the course of the week from testing until the races. Like we went from, I'll be honest, I turned up on Monday and Tuesday and I was very tempted to be in my jeans. But I also <laughs> knew if I turned up in my jeans, I'd never hear the end of it from everyone. So I made sure I was in my shorts and I was frozen a few times with the wind coming across. And then we get into the race weekend and it was lovely and warm. From Wednesday onwards, you know, we were up at, 30 degree track temperature and higher, which creates a very slick track surface in Aragon. It can be quite difficult. And when the track surface gets a little bit greasy, a little bit low grip, that's where the Ducati always works really well. And that's where Rinaldi works really well too. And uh, like you said, he came through really strong over the course of the weekend. I think it was four, four, uh, three fourth place finishes for him. So strong performance from Rinaldi and able to get himself into the mix as well. I thought there was one point during race two where you thought, you know what? He might be able to break away from Ray and Raz Gidioglu and catch Bautista as well. Didn't quite work out that way for him, but it was good to see from Ronaldo. Ronaldo thought that as well. He really genuinely thought race two, that's it. It's going to be me and Alvaro. And, you know, he'll try his best to, to, to take the win on the last lap, never mind just following him. Um, but that was all down to, his transformation was all down to, as you say, probably climatic things, making the bike work better. But basically for two days after they tested finished and remember that's the end of their whole winter test program they tested two days on the track they're going to race on they spent two days in the garage with the mechanics and the technicians saying right what's what's wrong here because on that final tuesday after the test i spoke to him for about seven minutes and he was just he's still smiling because that's the way he is he's always smiling but you can see behind his eyes he was just like this is this is bad and then they managed to turn it around. So I think that a lot of that was down to hard work and the rider suddenly going, I'm not having this and just giving a million percent of the races without cashing. Just uh, give, our, give our listeners a bit of a, an insight into Rinaldi as well, Gordo, because I remember you did a, a big feature with him last year and uh, like his backstory is a really interesting story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, he's the original working class hero. He's... His mum was an office cleaner. His You're dad, the original working class hero, Gordo. Don't 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 fool yourself. Working class, yes. The H word, I don't know, but, but anyway. But no, he, his, his mum's an office cleaner. His dad's a uh, works in a print company. Um, they've no motorcycle experience at all, nothing. So he went on a mini bike somewhere in in one of those mini uh, coastal places in Italy where you can hire mini bikes. Loved it. Said, yeah, oh, I want to do more of that. So his dad scrimped and saved and put together a bike for him. And one of his friends or some guy he met said, saw him riding around on the on his own little mini bike thinking, oh, you should go racing with that. And his dad said, 
you race these things? People can race these little tiny bikes? Yeah, yeah. And of course, then it just took off. And Ronaldo, when he, in his first team, he literally just went, he, he couldn't get good bikes together. And he knew there was a decent bike for him going spare. And he went to the boss of the company that owned the whole thing and said, look, I'll come and work for you in your factory for nothing if you give me the bike for the season. You've seen me ride. I'm a good rider. Give me the chance. And and basically, the guy worked, got a salary, you know, enough to feed himself and have a house over his head. And then the guy gave him a bike. And from then on, that was when he was able to have more or less decent bikes. And of course, we saw what he could do. He was really brilliant in, in European championships and Superstock. He was always one of the top guys. Um, but yeah, he's come from zero background to where he is. And he's he's got that motivation always that he's got to make a success because he doesn't have anything to fall back on. Um, and yet he's still always a little cheery chappy. You know, he, he's always smiling, even when he's unhappy. He always makes a joke and a laugh at the end, you know. Um, he's a very grounded guy. Obviously, it's... He's made a bit of money now, and it, it, that's a, that is also kind of slightly. Um, that's a difficult thing for any young guy to deal with. So he, he's he's stuck between two stools. You know, there's his old his, his normal life, like ninety nine percent of us have, and then that one percent becoming a star thing. So that's interesting to see. But through it all, and his relationships with the media and everybody I can see around him, same little guy, smiley, happy guy that, but absolutely determined to succeed. Because um, we didn't, I didn't think I saw him as the greatest rider of uh, being a factory superbike rider when he's, you know, he had that half year, few races on a superbike. He didn't look like the next top rack, you know, he just didn't. Um, but he's he's done pretty well. I always think that obviously they came together in stock 600, then stock 1000. Yes. And right. on the stock 1000 bike, especially, the Ducati had an advantage. So you always kind of looked at Rinaldi and thought, yeah, he's good. But how good is is he? And also, yeah, yeah. Stock Thousand is always one of those question marks. Taddy Mercado, a fantastic Stock Thousand rider. Rafa de Rosa, fantastic Stock Thousand rider. But neither of them, whether it was down to the brakes or this, that, or the other, neither of them really has been able to to show that on a superbike. Whereas Rinaldi, you know, he had to work his way up. He obviously had the Aruba Junior team, then the Barney team, then the Go Eleven team, and now the the full factory team. But he's had to work his way through. And obviously enough, being Italian probably helps out a little bit with with Ducati but he's had to work really hard for it and I think it's going to be interesting to see how he does this year because there's going to be some racetracks that really suit him and at the end of the day Rinaldi isn't hired to be Ducati's championship man that's Bautista Rinaldi last year did a good job there was inconsistencies for sure so if he can have it where he just makes that little step forward that's all he has to do and I think obviously for Rinaldi Andrea Locatelli Alex Lowe's it is that secondary rider and uh, they're all super talented riders. Rinaldi and Lowe's have been able to win superbike races. Locatelli's a world champion. They can all have their days, but they need to be right up there in the top six and doing what Rinaldi did at the weekend. When the bike has that bit of an advantage, you have to be in the fight for the podiums, see what you're able to do, get your big points. But that battle between you know the second rider on the Kawasaki Yamaha and Ducati is going to be really interesting all the way through this season. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, the top one of those guys is going to be the one that doesn't accept that secondary role. He might know that's what he's going to get deep in his heart. But every race he approaches it thinking, no, no, I'm as good as these guys. I'm going to win. I'm on the same bike. I'm going to win. You know, look, I tell he's nearly won a race, not quite, you know. Um, Alex has won a race on Kawasaki on the Yamaha. So he's obviously capable. 
But it's a mentality thing, as well as all the hundred other things you have to do to be sitting on that grid thinking, yes, I can win today. Um, it does, Ronaldo's been the one that's that's made more of that in the last couple of years, even on a private bike, you know, two years ago. So um, it's a mentality thing, I think, when you finally get to it. It's a confidence mentality. I am not going to get beaten today thing. He That little guy came away with no podiums. Absolutely zero. I mean, you know, the worst position you can get is just off podium. And he ended up with three of them at the weekend. But that was also much more than he looked like he was going to get at the end of those tests. So that rider and his team had a change. And that is mentality, determination, call it what you will, and the setup to not crash. Because it's all right, but you can be determined as you like. But if your bike won't do the lap time, you'll crash. He was right there with them. And it was only last lap battles with... And it was interesting, he said, I'm a European champion and all these other guys are world champions. He said, the last few, the last couple of laps was, I'm racing against world champions and I'm only a European champion. So therefore he got beat three times. But the thing is, even with all the experience that Ronaldo's got now, he probably learned three different lessons on the three different last bits of those races on the weekend. You know, I mean, he, he, that would be another learning experience that a guy like him can put in his pocket and if he's smart enough to pull that out at the right time next time maybe he's the one that's going to come out on top whether he's fighting for a podium 10th or a win so no it was Ronaldo's story was an unexpected one and a very interesting one uh considering what we all expected to happen we're going to take a quick break on the paddock pass podcast and we come back we're going to focus on that battle at the front from the aragon round the world sbk Fly Racing introduces the new FL2 glove. With molded hard knuckle protection, this race-inspired glove is equipped with palm and gauntlet sliders and touchscreen compatible fingers. Available in three colors and sizes from small to triple X, the Fly Racing FL2 glove is the perfect answer at the perfect price. Check out flyracing.com to see more. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast. Steve Ings and Gordon Ritchie recapping the action from the open round of World SBK. And Gordo, we've obviously touched on the on the subject matter at hand at the front of the field but uh, this was a this was a weekend where we really saw Jonathan Ray pull out all the stops I thought this was probably about as good a race win as we've ever seen from Ray in the opening race of the weekend and then he was able to come away with two second place finishes he leaves Aragon three points behind Bautista I think in all respect to Jonathan he'll be viewing this as a really successful weekend despite the fact that Bautista was able to come away on top yeah absolutely um it must have been absolutely for a guy like him to lose his world championship. He, when he's been talking about it since, he's very even about it. He's not emotional. You can't see him getting upset about it. But when you've been a champion for six years, you're a champion. When you turned around that deficit he had to Batista, and you know three years ago, then you you double believe in yourself. So yeah, I think it was um, for him. It was that ride to the win was just. Perfect. One of those things that he, it wasn't a perfect ride, but it was exactly the ride that was needed. Um, and yes, absolutely one of his best. 113th race win. So he's had a few and he's had a few belters, but that one was absolutely right up there with the way he did it. Um, his team have obviously found a bit more. They've got new fork on the bike. Um, they're making the most of that. Um, they've played around in the winter. They've tried to maximise the bike as much as possible. But what I think he's got this year is what he didn't have last year, and maybe the only thing he really didn't have last year was that when he was riding to a level that he could, but the front of the bike 
kind of couldn't, um, he would push too hard and crash. This year, he says he's got a lot more uh, margin, not margin of safety, but a lot more feel from the front end, a lot more ability to make the front end of the bike work, um, under braking and so on. And in pure performance terms, the bike can be faster around the lap um, with a new fork. So that's one technical thing. And and Johnny just, you know, Johnny's A-game is amazing. The greatest of all time. He, he, he truly is. Um, and that's no disrespect to anybody else. Um, but I think when Johnny really manages to get the bike going, um, anything's possible for him. Uh, unless you've got a bike that's 20 horsepower faster, which is the big thing he's looking at this year. I thought what was really interesting over the weekend was the Super Bowl race because obviously Ronaldo got really upset with Ray during it. And I think if, if, if Johnny was a 20-year-old kid that just jumped onto a superbike, rightly so, Ronaldo would be pissed off with him and probably taking him out at the back of the paddock just for <laughs> dressing down. But you're yeah. not going to do that to a six-time world champion. Like I said, a guy that's already won 113 races, the best we've ever seen. This was just the only way that Ray could finish second was to just effectively be a dickhead he had to just push down the inside of everything with Ronaldo, park the bike make sure Ronaldo couldn't accelerate and just try and shoot out of corners i thought the run down in towards the downhill entry to the corkscrew you just saw him sweep across the yeah, front how many of Ronaldo, let go yeah. of the brake and then just sacrifice his line on the entry into nine just to make sure that the other guy couldn't attack i thought it was it was fun for us to watch it wasn't fun for Ronaldo. And then at the end of that race as well, in the Super Bowl race, we saw the, the clash with top rack for Rinaldi. But what was really interesting was Rinaldi pissed off with both Ray and Razgadioglu after the Super Bowl race. He tried to give back as much as he could in, the, in race two. And he'll now know that's how you have to ride with these guys because the step that we saw last year was Ray had to ride like this against top rack. Any chance to get through, you had to take it. And that's what he's taken into this battle with the Ducatis this year as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um we all love to see close racing, and when those guys, you're as good as those guys, you kind of know that you're all right. You know, they're, they're, yeah, anything can happen. It's racing, but they all talked about coming back with tire marks and, uh, you know, elbows and stuff. But that's what we want out of racing. As long as everybody's okay at the end of it, and as long as the people aren't being stupid. Johnny didn't, uh, you know, there wasn't anything that everybody was going. Oh, that was really dirty. But it was like running interference. Was was amazing, and that's exactly what I said to Johnny at the end uh, at the end of the second race. I said it was like Ronaldo was running interference on you to let Bautista go and to get some payback for himself. Um, and obviously that worked until Johnny managed to overhaul Ronaldo. But I mean, you know, it's uh, it was a lot of uh, a lot of playtime going on um, in those races at that age um, while they were all still setting really fast laps. It was. No, great. I mean, the racing was great. It, you know, after last year, maybe this year would have been one, two, three, one, two, three. And even with Batista running away twice, the fights were still great, even in the early battles. It was great. Um, and to be able to do that at the end, when everybody's tyres have dropped, I think that's also, it's almost an inevitability when your tyres go off, that you're not quite going to get to put the bike exactly where you want it anymore because the tyres have dropped. So there's going to be more action towards the end when you're not absolutely as precise or, or the bikes don't quite set up perfect anymore so there's always going to be a bit more kind of uh, you know touch rugby shall we say going on <laughs> what about um top rack this weekend obviously yamaha traditionally aragon's been one of their toughest tracks bit of a bogey track for them over the years i always thought coming into this weekend we didn't really get to see the full potentially yamaha last year top rack obviously had a grid penalty for exceeding track limits took away what i, th I think was a pole lap 
in last year's Super Pole session. He was able to get a podium in the dry conditions, which was really impressive. And then we had mixed conditions, which at that stage didn't really play into top rack strengths. So we didn't fully get to see what the Yamaha could do last year. But I thought it was really interesting listening to top rack over the weekend about the problems he was having with the front of the bike. You know, this was this was a little bit different to what we've what we've heard from Yamaha in the past. They've obviously made big changes over the winter, big hardware upgrades with their electronics. And it's going to be interesting to see how they develop this package. Yes, um, they made a lot of changes over the winter Yamaha too, a winning package. Um, but it was interesting to see that Top Rack went back to the, the 21 bike in many regards with the electronics and things as well, um, which we didn't know until the end of the second race. Uh, well, certainly I didn't know until we spoke to him at the end of the second race when he confirmed that. So, uh, yeah, but we could talk a lot about the Yamaha and what they've changed and what they've done. But remember, the, their results have always been quite bad and Top Rack took three podiums away. This was a good start for him in his World Championship defence at a track that he probably was very, very low in his list of places to restart his championship campaign. So, yeah, there was technical reasons, there were there were human reasons, but that is actually a decent weekend for him. It wasn't such a great weekend for all the other Yamaha riders, which shows there's still an issue with the Yamaha and Motorland. I thought one of the most interesting things I heard over the weekend was when Alex Raby, my co-commentator on the World Feed, said, you know, last year previous years averaging that 16 points that's all you have to do to win the world championship like you said Gordo mission achieved for top rack he was able to come away from a difficult weekend and do that obviously this was also a really difficult weekend for the Paddy Yamaha team and for for both of us obviously uh, John Denning a really popular man within the paddock and uh, hopefully for that team they're they're able to get some really strong results this year and uh, and uh, really get things going from us and onwards but uh, our condolences to the whole team for for John but uh, I thought one of the most interesting things was, obviously, it's a difficult track for Yamaha. Obviously, there's some struggles. We saw Locatelli probably in that fifth, sixth position all the way through the weekend. A good start to the campaign for him because he's a guy under pressure this year, isn't he, Gordo? Last year, he impressed everyone. Top five in the World Championship. Could have won a race. Lots of podiums. Always there or thereabouts. A good close match to Top Rack all the way through the second half of the season. A good foil for Top Rack as well. They were working really well together. This was a tough weekend for him. And this is a, a season where, arguably, if he wins a race and he gets a few podiums, it's a very successful season. He's made that next step, regardless of where he finishes in the championship. But he also knows that he needs to make that step in some way, whether it's to stay in top five in the World Championship or to win some races. But it'd be interesting to see how he does from Aston onwards. Obviously, Aston last year was where he had his first podium of his World SBK career. Yes. Um, I think for all factory riders that have a good... Uh, first season that there's always that difficult second album as they say you know it's you've you've shown how good you are but then you need to make a step up when maybe you were already riding at the max and if you try harder you just cash more if you there's lots of potential bear traps waiting for you in your second year on a factory bike and it's only his second year on a super bike so considering that um, we you're always going to have to cut that guy a bit more slack than some of the other riders in the same position. But if you look at Gerloff last year, that went a bit wrong after a first year when he got podiums and things. Okay, he had some high results last year, but he also, you know, he, 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 it was difficult for him last year. Um, obviously, Locatelli is a very different rider, so it might be nothing like that for him. Uh, his mentality is very strong in a very quiet way. Um, but yes, he has to show up more than last year. Um, when last year was pretty blooming impressive. So that to me means winning every race he can. And even if it's only one or two, 
that's what he's got to do. Championship position, we are looking at a completely rock hard. I think it was Alex Lowe that said, he said there's from 4th to 14th, he said he doesn't remember a championship quite as strong as this. Every year he can look at the, the season and go, oh, he's going to be good, he could be good, he could be good, he could be good. But you know there's going to be three top guys, two top guys, and another four or five. This year, really? I mean, way down. You're way down. Um, and two new guys as well. So, yeah, it's that's a this is a fascinating year for all those guys, which means that Locatelli, three or four bad races, could be 10th this year. But he wouldn't be 10th with five points. You know, he could be 10th with 200 points, you know. I think it's going to be super interesting all the way through the year, like you said, Gordo. And that scrap is going to be really interesting because I remember when I when I first came to World Superbikes in 2016 full-time, it was it was always a case of you had those few guys at the front and just a big gap. Kawasaki had a, had a clear... Kawasaki and Ducati had a clear advantage at that stage. That's not the case anymore. The secondary teams are getting stronger and stronger. They're getting better riders. Look at BMW. At the end of the day... When Michael Vandermark comes back, it's going to be Vandermark, Redding, Baz, and Eugene Laverty. All of them race winners. Yeah, Vandermark's a world champion. Eugene could have won a couple of world championships. Baz has lots of experience on a superbike. Jumped on a superbike when he was what seventeen. Redding's the youngest ever Grand Prix winner before Anchu took that. He's been able to contend for championships. It shows you the depth that you have, and that's really key. I always think, obviously, just to to touch on Gerloff as well. You mentioned him there. You know, this is his fifth year on a superbike, and this is where there isn't really room for excuses now for him. He really needs to step up, and Aragon was really tough for him. We saw it again, and it's up to him now to go to Assen, the scene of the crime last year where it all went wrong, and show that he's got that mental strength. You talked about Locatelli's inner confidence. He's a quiet kid, but he's got that steely determination. He came from the Grand Prix paddock where, you know, you can be as good as anyone and come away with you know, maybe a point. So you have to have that inner resolve whenever you're racing in Moto2 over there. He has that confidence. Gerloff needs to show that he that he has that as well. He had that confidence when he was talking to us on Thursday, in his or Thursday or Friday in his media debrief. But on track, we saw that he was struggling again. He said that with a new tyre, he couldn't take advantage of it the same way other guys could. And then as the tyre wore off and the race progressed, he was able to maintain his pace a lot better. But you've got to be able to make those moves. You know, you were talking there about that gap from 4th to 14th. When it's as close and competitive as it is, it's very difficult to make a big jump in the race if you give up too much ground at the start. Yeah, he had uh, those... That was his, his his problem for qualifying. Um, but his his other problem was not being able to pass people. He said, Aragon, you have to just pass people in the brakes and nothing else. There's no, you know other places you can go around him or use the nimbleness of the Yamaha or his confidence on it to overtake someone on the inside. You ha- he said, you have to do it everywhere on the brakes in Aragon. And I get his point, you know, that's how you do it. And he just felt he couldn't do that, whether it was acceleration out coming to draw alongside and then overtake people um, or whether it was just the pure performance on the front end on the brakes. And, and it was actually noticeable that Toprak, for the first time I can ever remember, said that he was having front tyre wear issues. That, that compromised every one of his races. And therefore, we, did, we, we didn't see the extravagant top rack, did we, at the weekend? We didn't see him doing all those massive mini stoppies all the way into a corner because his front end wouldn't let him do it. So Gerloff had similar problems um, and in terms of being able to pass people. That was what he just couldn't do. And when you're down there, having qualified down there, well, what have you got to do? You've got to pass people if you want to get any kind of result. Even if his pace 
could be as good as some of the other guys up front. So, yeah, he, he's got a lot of work to do. But Aragon's a special case with the Yamahas. We have to have that little caveat in the back of everything we say about Yamaha riders this, this podcast is that it's not the greatest track for him. It's just one of those things. It's never been. Um, you know, so to me, top rack overperformed and Gerloff maybe underperformed. Um, but maybe he couldn't do anything else. Maybe that was it. He just couldn't give any more. I think for me, everyone gets a free pass once during the season. You know, and, and Gerloff gets that for Aragon. But now we go to Assen, a track that we know the Yamaha goes really well. Toprak and Locatelli were able to have podiums there last year. Gerloff was was strong. His pace was really good. It was a qualifying crash that uh, cost him. So in the Super Bowl session, he lost he, he cr- lost the front of turn one. I think he ran through a bump and that was it. His weekend was, was scuppered. You know, so now he needs to go to Assen next week. And that's where his season starts. And that's where we need to see the Garrett Gerloff that everyone knows is there. He's super fast, super talented. And you want to see him at the front of the field. But he needs to make that step. Because when you look at, um, um, just before we take our, our last ad break on the show, when you look at Yamaha's position right now, Gordo, they've, they're going to have decisions to make. They've got, you know, the likes of Baldassari came into Supersport. He won his first race, second in the next one. He's a young Italian rider with all that experience. You know, Yamaha, you wouldn't be too surprised to see if they're looking for him to do what Locatelli did, step onto a superbike as well. So there's going to be a lot of pressure on the likes of Gerloff now to really be able to show what you can do. This is his fifth year on a superbike. So he really needs to show Yamaha and the man going forward, especially if Top Rack does end up moving to MotoGP. You want to be in a position to be able to make that jump. Yeah, I mean, Yamaha have made changes eh, over the last few years. If uh, they give people a chance, they've got their... their the pyramid system that they like to talk about, where they're the blue crew thing and they're bringing people through all the time, they're promoting people all the time. Um, so there will be somebody waiting at the back of Gerloff and or any other Yamaha rider. Um, so he's not going to be allowed to be there forever. It does help that he's American because we need a good, fast American. Um, but that's ultimately Superbike has still pretty much been the place whereby if you've got the talent, you can go, how many Italian teams have given a British rider, an Australian rider, a chance? Well, there's no there's no obvious reason why they would, except they think this guy's got talent. Um, so, yeah, this is uh, a very important year for Gerloff, because it's not impossible that if he has a bad year, they move him on. But it's also, he might be the next guy. If he has the season he can do, we know he's all capable of, then he could be the guy to say, OK, top right's going to go. We'll, we'll bring him into the factory team. Um, however else they may or may not sign um, so yeah this is a great opportunity here for Gary it all sounds a bit negative so far probably the way we're speaking about him but this is also a giant opportunity for him because he knows that okay the GP thing that he was linked with is, didn't happen so what's his next path? His path to greatness could be his superbike and talent wise, riding ability wise I don't see a reason why not, he's got to learn, he's got to improve, he's not the finished article but this, he's got to move on this year from what he did last year and the impact he had in in year one. And everybody wants us to have a fast American and he's it. So over to him, you know, if he can make the step, the world's his oyster. Yeah, and I think obviously enough Cameron Bobier having his pole position in uh, Coda last weekend as well in the Moto2 World Championship. You know, the big thing is we want to see those fast Americans come through because it's good for everyone and it's going to be really interesting to see how Gerloff reacts next time out in Aston. Like I said, Aragon, tough track for Yamaha and uh, now we have to wait and see. 
I also want to mention, Gordo, just because you mentioned about Yamaha's pyramid to get to the top and uh, their progression for riders. I'm going to just check to see if Ian Wheeler's listening to the podcast this week because we had three riders that came through from the Yamaha R3 Blue Crew European Cup into the Super Sport 300 class. And uh, we saw you know points being scored for Iker Garcia, the champion in that last year, the cup winner last year. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how all those riders progress. And uh, just very quickly, Gordo, just because I've touched on that matter there with the R3 Cup into the Super Sport 300 class, that leads on to a Super Sport bike. Manuel Gonzalez is one of the few riders that we saw able to jump from a 300 onto a Super Sport bike. At the weekend, though, we saw Adrian Huertas, Tom Booth Amos, and uh, there was another rider as well in the Super Sport. It was uh, Bahatin Safogli all of them able to score points, all of them able to, to run really well. And it's that kind of progression that's really important for us to see for uh, the paddock as well, that we're able to produce riders like Gonzalez. Hopefully, one of those guys can uh, do what he did as well. Yes, I thought that was a very interesting uh, element of the Supersport, hidden behind the, the top guys, obviously, and the big, massive changes that we had in the Supersport Championship this year. Um, but yeah, all those guys did well. Um, and maybe not on the fastest bikes that are out there. Um, I don't know. I mean, but it doesn't seem that way. But they all did well, eh? Uh, and and we need to see that, as you say. Grand Prix's got this incredible vacuum pump of talent going on everywhere in the world now. All their, their one-making talent series, Europe, Asia, whatever. They just take all the riders that they can, put them through the filter, and the ones that are better go th- up, 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 up. You can make it in the MotoGP paddock through very defined pathways now. In Superbike, we've always had people coming from national championships. Unfortunately, that seems to have completely dried up. Uh, so we now have to start producing our talent from inside or taking people from Moto3, Moto2. And that's been the story of World Supersport in the last few years, more or less, hasn't it? The, rider, the, the, the winning riders. And that's all very well, but we have to produce our own people. And thankfully... As you say, there's been a big washout at the top of World Super Sport 300 for the start of this year. A lot of them have gone to Super Sport, and at first chance, they've actually done pretty well. And what is a very cutthroat championship that's now added potential winners because you've got good riders on all the new bikes. So the next generation bikes are all there with a lot of new riders involved in there. So it got tougher in Super Sport this year in every possible way. And yet those guys rocked up in a field of 30 riders and, and scored points. That's very encouraging for the future. Um, and Super Sport is wide open, wide, wide open. So if those guys are good, they're going to be able to show it on any bike. Yeah, obviously, like you said, Gordo, there as well, that graduate scheme from uh, Moto2 into the Super Sport class and then into Super Bikes. We've seen it the last four years, the champion has been an ex-Moto2 rider, Sandro Cortese, Randy Krumenacker, Andrea Locatelli and Domi Aguilar. And then after the first weekend, you're looking at Baldessari looking really strong as well. So it's going to be interesting to see how that develops in the Super Sport class. We're going to take another break on the Paddock Pass podcast. When we come back, we're going to have a quick look at uh, some of the fortunes of some of the other runners and riders from Aragon. Renthal Fat Bars are synonymous with off-road world champions. The Renthal Street Fat Bar draws from decades of experience to create the ultimate 28mm handlebar in a range of street-specific bends. Whether you're looking to alter the height, width, rise, or sweep of your handlebar, Renthal Street Handlebars offer a bend to suit your requirements. 
Use the WorksFit Handlebar Comparison Tool at Renthal.com to find the perfect bend. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass Podcast. Steve Ings and Gordon Ritchie here on the show today. And Gordo, very quickly, because we've only got a couple of minutes left on the pod, Honda's performance at the weekend, very impressive. Iker Lekawona and Javi Vieira, both of those guys jumped onto the bike in winter testing, spent a lot of time on the bike, and uh, Honda have clearly put a lot of resources into the Superbike project to be able to get them out on track. But we saw big signs of encouragement for them. I think, for me, this is the best weekend we've seen from Honda in a really long time, because in all three races, they had both bikes inside the top 10, looked very competitive at different times, or at least looked like they've made a big step forward compared to recent times. But Aragon's a very unique track, and now we have to see whether or not that they can transition this to Aston in the next few rounds. Yes, I think that was, uh, if you had to ask me what was my story of the weekend, I might have actually said the Hondas. There was a few potential stories of the weekend. but I, I did ask you what your story the, the of the weekend was, one. and you didn't say the Hondas, I know, Gordo. I know, I know. I know, I know, I know. But I could have, and I, I did think about it, uh, because that's an amazing debut for those guys. Two rookies, different suspension, different brakes from the all the data they've had from, from the past. So they're starting with brand new data. There's nothing to transcribe over. Um, the 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 suspension might be new this year. Their forks, because obviously the same as Kawasaki, they had new fork. So there's there's so many changes. New crew chief for one guy, um, and completely new championship. Vierke is a six was a super um, Moto two rider. You know he didn't even ride a, a Moto GP bike, and there's been a bit of experience in Moto GP for Lacona. Ultimately, those guys rocked up and did at least as well as you would expect the previous riders of the Honda to do. First time out, complete brand new uh, system for, for in every regard for them, and look at what they did. And you can say testing this and testing that. The one caveat I'd say about it is, maybe that's the, they've already leached the level of performance, easy performance, if you like. Easy is the wrong word. But reachable performance. Now, how much more has the Honda got? Because someone like Batista couldn't get any more out of the Honda last year. So now we're going to see where the Honda lives um, in terms of its pure performance ability. Because it wasn't running with the leaders, but it did score top six. I think it was the best result at six or five. Um, That's remarkable in the first weekend. And as you say, both riders the top ten each race. One with a broken rib. And the first yeah. ever races the Superbike on Pirelli's. I mean, you could you can sit with a very long tick box going wow, 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 wow for those guys that whole weekend. So the possibilities of that could be huge, but it also could be that those experienced guys who've been trained from kids through the, the MotoGP system maybe have already got the maximum out of that bike. So now they have to make the bike better again to then compete. Obviously, they're going to learn more, but... Overall, that was an amazing uh, first weekend for those guys. So much more than I expected. I didn't expect it to be bad, but I didn't expect both of them to be quite as good as they were with one of them injured. And obviously enough, Gordo, we haven't talked about BMW too much. I think one of the more interesting things when you look back at the weekend, Honda are only three points ahead of BMW in the Constructors' Championship. That takes your best result from your top rider in any given race. So in terms of BMW, they probably weren't that far off overall but it was just so inconsistent. We didn't know who was going to be the top BMW from one race to the next. Obviously, Ilya Michalczyk jumped onto the bike, did a really good job in race one, and then Sunday was a lot more difficult for him. Scott Redding was off the pace all the way through the week. We saw the frustration for Redding as early as free practice one. We saw him 
come down in towards, I think it was turn five, run off the track and smash the tank. He couldn't get the bike stopped. We saw him have, you know, a few on-track meltdowns. Scott's always a very emotional rider, but that doesn't help BMW right now, especially when Reading comes away from a racetrack where, you know, he's won three races. He's at five or six podiums an hour gone on a world superbike machine. He goes well there. He came away with one point from the opening three races of the year. Um, yeah, that's. Uh, I've just written a big story about that uh, weekend with a few days of uh, getting away from it. Uh, yeah, BMW's performance is much worse than they expected it to be, and I think everybody expected it to be because they've got four really good riders, and none of them had a great weekend. Uh, as you say, they came a wee bit behind the Hondas, but those two, again, two rookies on a bike that was struggling last year. Um, the BMW thing was on the up at the end of last year. And this year it started on a very, very, very steep down that has made was kind of shell shocking for everybody in the team. The the team bosses being interviewed, everything else. The one thing I say about the BMW weekend, it was so bad that Scott Redding didn't come and see the media on Sunday and wouldn't let us go and see him. Now, that that's bad. When a rider of that experience and ability is so annoyed, whatever he was. I don't know what he was because we couldn't speak to him. We didn't get the chance to get his own words out of him, so I can't put words in his mouth. But in the absence of being able to speak to the guy, we can only speculate. And my speculation is that's the most wound up he's been since he joined World Superbike. And he had some pretty dark days on a Ducati as well, let's remember. Um, yeah. But to not come and speak to the media when normally he would, any rider would want to go and explain, hey, this is what happened, um, he must have been so so annoyed about it all. I think that was a, a, hopefully for BMW and the good of the championship, that was their worst day by some distance because nobody expected that to happen. Nobody. Um, even though the bike was, you know, it's still not the best bike um, and it needs a lot of work still. Um, but yeah, when you've got all those riders with all that ability and none of them having any kind of like the result they really wanted, Bazzi's seventh was probably the best. And the best of them was the guy who's a regular BMW rider but has never raced in Superbike before in race one, how bad was it for the other guys? How far off beam from all the testing and the expectation they had on the race day? So, yeah, it's difficult to have any positivity about that BMW weekend whatsoever. I just, I just don't see any, any good thing to look at in that weekend for them, which is sad. Yeah, exactly. I thought one of the key things from the weekend, let's take Scott out of it because he just wasn't competitive compared to the other guys. But for Michelcheck, for Laverty, for Baz, there was a lot of sessions where they were 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, you know, and all three of them really closely matched. So, you know, that's an indication that they were getting what they could out of that package. And like you said, Gordo, whenever Ilya comes in as a rookie, obviously he's super stock experience in the Superbike paddock. He's had, you know, a few years in, in the IDM championship and a lot of success there. But to jump in in this situation and all of them be that closely matched, that doesn't really show too well for BMW either because none of them were really close to making that big step to being there or thereabouts to be able to fight. So they've got a lot of work to do. I think, obviously, again, Aragon's a very unique circuit. BMW left the Catalan test really excited about the project, really excited about the season. So Aston, a track that always goes well for them, this is going to be a real test. Hopefully, that's where they can make a step. Scott Redding, Aston's one of his favourite tracks in the calendar. He needs to make that step forward. And, you know, I'm I'm willing to, again, like I said, everyone's going to get some passes through the course of the season. This could be one of those rounds where BMW get their pass because 
it's also worth remembering that we're not expecting BMW to be competitive week in, week out. You just want to see it where they make progress compared to last year. Last year, obviously, Van der Mark was able to win a race in the wet conditions in, in um, Portimao. They had some strong results as well at the end of the season, so they made their progress. Now we need to see what they're able to do over the course of the next few rounds. I think the biggest problem was the drop off the cliff kind of thing. Was you know We weren't expecting it to be this bad. There's a lot of changes and everything else, but as you say, last year was on the up. They, they, they really were improving last year. And a win's a win, whether it's wet conditions or not. The, the, the bike had to be good enough and the rider had to be good enough and, and, and Van der Mark got a win. Uh, there was other, uh, you know, Sykes got podium and, um, sorry, Sykes got a super pole and there was other podiums as well. So, yeah, it was on the up. And I think that's the, the, the really difficult thing was quite how far down it went to fall behind the Hondas. So catastrophically, uh, as far as you can see, with four potential guys to make better results. That would be a very worrying thing if I was everybody in BMW. And I'd be right now I'd be sitting working out how what happened and how do we not that let that happen in acid, even if it is a very different flowing track. Um but if they've got the same one big problem that they had last year and they haven't improved it because the weather even if it's just like when the weather conditions change it suddenly appears, then they haven't cured it. You know, you when you cure a problem on a bike and the setup of the bike, it'll work in any conditions. Um, so they need to get themselves sorted uh, mechanically because they've got four good opportunities ultimately going to waste at the moment. Um, that weekend is is far worse than I expected from BMW, with four potential podium riders and any you know in a, in, a, in a good day with a following wind, any one of those four guys could get on an early season podium. Why not? You know, I mean they're all super talented. Um, obviously Mikey's out with his injury, but that leaves only three possibilities. And Reading needing a point to prove. I mean, can you imagine how motivated Reading must have been joining BMW, thinking, I've got to show myself here. And it was way below what he thought it would be. Difficult. Especially when you leave Ducati and you see Bautista win two races, second and the other, Rinaldi up at the front all the way through the weekend. I think it's always worth remembering as well. In a lot of ways, Scott Reading didn't choose to leave Ducati to go to BMW. Ducati had the option of bringing Alvaro Bautista and they exercised that and they've got two riders now the same size a top class rider you can't you can't dispute bringing Bautista in and uh, now it's up to riding to make it work as well as possible at BMW as you mentioned as well there Gordo BMW had five podiums last year three of them came at Donington they actually had two riders on the podium together in the Super Bowl race there so there is potential in that package let's wait and see what they can do from Aston onwards Van der Mark's going to try and be back for Aston I think if we were racing anywhere other than his home round next time out, I don't think there'd be much talk of Mikey being out there because it was a pretty bad uh, spiral fracture of the leg as well. So we'll wait and see if Mikey's back. Otherwise, it'll be Michel check on the bike once again. So he's going to do the Le Mans 24 hours this weekend. So he had two days of testing, a full race weekend in Aragon. He went to Le Mans already to have the official test then he's going to have the 24 hour and then he could potentially have to get himself up to Aslan as well so it's going to be pretty busy for him I think uh, he's jumped in the deep end and uh, certainly he'll be he'll be bike ready by the time we get to Aston potentially and I think that's uh, is that underlines the opportunities for a good rider in Superbike now because all the bikes are so even you know, in race one, he was the best of all the BMWs, four factory BMWs, and he was the best of them first time out. I think anybody in BSB or Moto America or any other championship would be looking at that thinking, maybe, you know, if you get the right package in Superbike, 
There's no reason why you can't go on. We haven't had time to talk about it, but I think all the rookies did pretty well at, at Aragon as well. The people who've jumped up or jumped over, um, your your Philip Otos, etc. They all did pretty well. Not world beaten, but they, you know they're there. There's no reason why a guy can't jump off a 600 after a whole career on mid to small size MotoGP bikes and be competitive in Superbike when he's in a good team with the right bike and some decent testing behind him. Um, the opportunities are open again in Superbike. Maybe not to beat Johnny and Bautista and those guys out every weekend, but to, to make a name for yourself and forge a career here and get a few races, race wins, like it used to be in the old days. We are open again for good, talented riders to come and make a name for themselves in Superbike. Yeah, and I think you only have to look at it as well. Loris Baz last year jumped onto Chaz Davis's Go 11 Ducati for a couple of rounds, was able to get podiums in Portimao. So you can come back in the case of Loris Baz or get a good opportunity Garrett Gerloff over you know his first year and a half on a superbike able to be right at the front podiums and uh, results like that so it can happen Gordo obviously we got another week off before we go back to Aston and the early season rounds are always exciting in World SBK I can't wait to get to Aston you know I, I was writing actually for for a blog for Adam about how I was a little bit nervous going to Aragon. You know, it's the first round. Were we going to get a repeat of 2019 or were we going to get a repeat of 2021? It looks like we're going to have good racing. Aston's going to be a good test for that as well. Johnny's always gone well there. I think he's got 15 wins at Aston. And uh, Top Rack and Yamaha will go well there. Bautista won two races there in 19 as well. So he goes well there. You know, this it, it all sets up nicely. And uh, that's all you can ever ask for. No, Aston is one of those places... Um... We've, even in the past, we've had freight trains or riders to half race distance just to save the tyre as well. It's one of those tracks that promotes close riding, slipstreaming down the Veenslangs and uh, other places. It's uh, They keep cutting Aston from its classic layout and everybody moans about it and goes, oh, Aston's is not going to be the same. And yeah, that little first section is, is a little bit Mickey Mouse for, for a real racetrack, let's say. However... Everybody's got used to it now. It's just a little twiddle you get through to get onto the, the, the rest of the real track. Um, and what a track. And it's the track that promotes the racing. The riders all love it. When you come into that final grandstand, it's like an old-style Hockenheim thing where you go into a little mini stadium and when there's a close race, all the crowd stand, here's the back of your neck job, Asin. And it's a, it's a flat field in Northern Holland. You know, there, there should be nothing special about it. And it's one of the most special, iconic, uh, as I say, emotional racetracks, just walking around it. You know, and it's not a Latin country where everybody's screaming and shouting and go, go, go. It's, it's the opposite. It's Dutch people, the most even, placid people day to day, lovely, polite human beings they are. And you put motorbikes in front of them and they become mad red meat animals. It's, it's a be- one of the best places you go all year and it promotes fantastic racing let's hope we get that when we get there I think it's worth noting at this time as well while David Emmett might have a Dutch passport he fits much more towards the British stereotype than the Dutch stereotype and uh, obviously enough David's going to be back on the pod set for the hat where's that the from? Hat, the hat does Australia? make a difference but the clogs is what he needs <laughs> David's obviously going to be back in the pod next week with Adam and Neil and uh, they're going to be looking forward to you know, the first of the back-to-back races for uh, them in Europe, Portimao and then Jerez. So uh, they'll be back on uh, Wednesday as usual. Gordo will be back after the Dutch round, the World SBK and uh, I'm looking forward. I can't wait to get out to Holland already. So I'm going to 
Love you and leave you, Gordo. And I'm going to get back to my work. We've all got uh, a fair bit to get through after the opening round, but uh, there's storylines up and down the paddock. I can't wait to get to Holland. Yeah, me too, mate. It's been a great start. Fantastic. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks very much, Gordo. And a big thank you to everyone that supports us on Patreon as well. Patreon.com forward slash Paddock Pass Podcast. We've got a variety of tiers available for everyone now from $3 all the way up to a new tier we have. It's $50, but uh, you get a lot for that. You're able to join us on a Zoom call to be able to ask us anything about pretty much any racing series and uh, a good chat and uh, some merchandise as well available for our patrons on that tier. For $10 a month, you're able to become a Paddock Insider. So that means that you'll get the Paddock Notes show on uh, uh, each day of a Grand Prix weekend. So that's where all of us get together to be able to get everyone up to speed as quickly as possible over the course of a Grand Prix weekend. So from myself, Steve English, Gordon Ritchie, all the team here at the Paddock Pass podcast, big thank you to everyone for supporting the podcast and also to Fly Racing for supporting us and sponsoring us on this show. This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast was produced by Jensen Beeler, David Emmett, Steve English, Neil Morrison, and Adam Wheeler. It was edited by Brian Burnett. Music is provided by The Liberty. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com. Well, I'll tell, I tell you what, JB, you can either no, leave it. me don't looking foolish or you can do whatever else. Um, if you do cut it, JB, uh, just have it where there's that bit of bad.